This is Power Athlete Radio. With your host, Denny Cage, Professor Booty, and the Luke Summers. And now, toes forward, hips locked, shoulders set, and retract those scapulas. It's time for some knowledge bombs. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Meet James Krause, professional MMA fighter, father, businessman, familyman, and humble stud. His humility makes him a natural inspiration for the many amateur fighters of hoping to scratch the surface of one of the fastest growing and competitive sports on the scene. We had the pleasure of speaking with him about balancing training, life, and everything in between. A Kansas City native, James has stayed close to his roots and developed a thriving gym that caters to the fight community. When he's not traveling, he's passing on his skills and knowledge to the up-and-coming competition. James is a blunt guy with strong opinions about how the fans perceive the sport, for good or for worse. As he puts it, the casual fan has absolutely no idea what it's like to fight, let alone for 15 minutes. No fight gone bad or fight gone worse workout can even compare to getting kicked in the face, cornered against the cage, or giving everything you possibly can in a good old-fashioned one-on-one fist fight. This insight into the physical and mental demands of fighting will leave you, one, feeling like a pussy for ever complaining about an injury, and two, with a newfound respect for athletes whose paychecks are dependent on the almighty win, not a bullshit salary or hourly wage. This is episode 148. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? It is that time again. We have the Power Athlete crew here on Power Athlete Radio. John Wellborn, the founder, the creator, the man, the myth, the legend, the one behind the curtain. Is he even real? Have you seen him in real life? Nobody knows. I've seen him. I've seen him palm a medicine ball. I've seen him chew an aluminum can and spit out a hostess cupcake. It was amazing. Then you got text from DC. Text say, what's up? What's going on? (laughs) And then Tyler... Mitten, our nutrition guru, is uh, joining in from Tennessee, the armpit of America. Tyler, say hey. What's going on? We've upgraded. <laughs> We've upgraded from the anus to the armpit. Actually, uh, <laughs> did uh, everybody tell where Texas location is? He's actually sitting outside of his car outside the junior high school watching recess. So yeah, which is kid. awesome because he's still allowed to do that. Yeah. Guys like you, you can't even well, be 300 say, feet I'm, from I'm pretty sure playground. you're not allowed to go anywhere near. <laughs> you also have to make a phone call everywhere you move. That's true. Knock on doors. Uh if you are listening to this and you have not given us a five-star review, go fuck yourself. That means go give us a review on iTunes, on Stitcher, on whatever. Share our podcast. Be part of the community like everybody else. I'm not begging you, but I kind of am. But on the show today, who do we have? We have James Krause, UFC, badass, uh, one of Tyler's good buddies. And uh, James, what's going on? What up, what up, what up? So what's going on with you, man? Give us a little background. Let everyone know how uh, you just fucking smashed uh, your opponent, what was it, last week or two weeks ago? And what's been up with you, man? Yeah, so since my fight, I've just been kind of on the road. You know, my last uh, the last month or two months have been pretty pretty uh, busy for me. Uh, I went out to Denver to train, to train for my fight, came home for probably five days, left for my fight in Pittsburgh. I uh, came back for a couple days, went to Wichita, Kansas, which is about four hours from where I live. Uh, cornered, cornered some teammates on that. I uh, came back 
for one day and then left. Uh, no, came back for three days and then left for. Uh, I don't even know where the hell I am right now. Somewhere in, in Oregon or Washington. I'm like right on the border or something like that. So right now I'm in a, a hotel room watching uh, Gold Rush, I think, and uh, talking to you guys. So I'm excited. I don't have a whole lot going on right now. So well, this I mean, is if you, fun. you know, if you have free time, you are in Sasquatch country. So you could always just wander around the Pacific Northwest and look for the Squatch. True story. <laughs> True story. I mean, you know. Are you Sasquatch, John? Uh, you know what? Uh, <laughs> Strikingly funny, similar dimensions. Yeah, funny story. Uh, I actually met a girl years ago whose dad was probably, or she claimed at least, the most prof prolific Sasquatch hunter in the world. Mm. He had dedicated 30 years to hunting Sasquatch. And what is that even? Like, what is that? Like, what are his accolades? Does he have, like, what, uh, what does he have that I don't have? Mostly okay. self-proclaimed, but... So the weird part <laughs> is the girl was a Playboy Playmate, and I met her at the Playboy Mansion, and as I'm talking with her, I was like, oh, yeah, I see you from around here. She's like, oh, yeah, I grew up. I'm like, oh, it's cool. She's like, yeah, my dad's really into hunting Sasquatches. And I was like, no, that sounds like something I would say. And she's like, no, it's really, I'm not fucking with you. And she's like, went through this whole thing, and I actually looked him up, and the dude has like a full deal where he, I think he has a museum and the whole, whole deal. So, I mean, here's my thing with the Sasquatch. How come they're always one step behind him? He's pretty big. Mm -hmm. He's probably not that intelligent. How can we not find him? I don't know. And like, like his, he's not. His really arm swing mechanics are terrible too. You know. Uh -huh. Well, he doesn't bend at the elbows. I'm pretty con uh, pretty confident that he doesn't actually have elbow joints. Hmm. He just uh -huh. has shoulders and wrists. Is that your Sasquatch expert opinion? Well, have you ever watched him walk? It's like a straight arm thing, I mean, you know? technically, no. No well, one's watched him walk. Well, and nobody's seen him run, so he walks everywhere. So why can't we find somebody that just walks in? I don't know. Well, anyway, so James, you're gonna have to let us know what his arms are. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm, a, I'm. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna bounce a little bit early so I can get that hunt started. <laughs> uh, the best thing now, to do how is. How would you hunt? No, nothing about this. How would you hunt Sasquatch? Easy. I'll tell you right now. I rub my own feces all over myself and just make myself one with nature. They can smell you, John. I mean, I assume you just go walk around for a little while. What's the part? Wait, 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 wait. I said hunting, not mating. <laughs> uh, so how would you hunt Sasquatch? I'm, I'm thinking spear, bow, or rifle. Or no, no, spear, bow, or handgun. Cause you got to get close. Um, Jack, Jack Link's beef jerky, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, text. Oh, oh, that was. Oh, that messing was a joke. with Sasquatch. That was a joke. Oh. I'd have to go aerial surveillance, heat thermal, obviously, and then rifle. Rifle. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking bow. Well, you'd have to get close, and that's not Dude, that's impossible. I got those tips that I shot those pigs with, and that thing would probably just. Uh, what do you think your lethal range is with that bow and arrow? Uh, 60 yards. No, I, no way. Yeah. I guess on a squash. 60 yards? I hit a pig at 60 yards. Yeah. I'm going to do what every other American would do and take a bunch of hand grenades to go after him. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd go home and make some homemade pipe bombs, and uh, then I, I got a recipe up the internet and use those things. Well, let's, yeah. let's wrangle this back in from Squatch, honey, <laughs> to James, our guest, who's taking his time to hang. Uh, so, James, give us some background. How old are you? How long have you been fighting in the USC? How did you get into it? You know, the, the proverbial uh, BS. And then, Tyler, obviously, keep him honest, since you, I know you guys are good buds. Uh, don't let this guy be too modest, and don't let him get out of hand. Gotcha. Look, it's not the year of the car. It's the miles it has on it. <laughs> so, I'm uh, 29 years old. Uh, my last fight two weeks ago was my 49th fight, my 30th professional fight. Um, you know, mix that in with a lot of jiu-jitsu competition, some kickboxing competition as well. I've been doing MMA for almost 10 years. Uh, I've kind of found a, 
it was just my passion. I found a way to make it, uh, make it my job and more than one way, more than one revenue stream. Obviously, uh, I love, I love competing. I love fighting. Um, I love cutting weight and, uh, that was a joke. Um, that is totally a lie. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for Tyler to say something. That he didn't, he's like, yeah, this is going really good. I, I like what he's doing with this. Uh, no, I, I love competing. I love fighting. Um, especially at the highest level of sport. But even more so, I probably love the the business aspect of it, and uh, you know I love competing in business as well. So it's pretty much, you know, with with martial arts in general, it's I've pretty much found a way to to make that my life in one way or another. Now, is that is that a common approach with fighters? Like, you know, uh, taking I mean, is there a dichotomy there? Like, guys who just get in and brawl, and then there's guys who can do that and also like to to wrap everything up and bundle it up as a brand and as a business side of the things? Uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people that try to do it. Uh, it is very difficult to do, though. Um, you know, I, it's it's a grind, man. It's You guys know with, with Power Athlete, I'm sure it takes a lot of work, um, and it takes a lot, of, a lot of time that a lot of people aren't willing to put in to make it successful. You know, it's a grind. It's just like anything, uh, anything worth doing. Is not gonna is not gonna be easy. If it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. So yeah, it's difficult, you know. But I love it. It's I don't ever work a day in my life. I get up every day. I love going to work, and I love the people I'm around. I love my uh, I love my employees, my training partners, my business partners. Uh, you know, I, really, there's no part of my life where I don't like doing something. That's pretty much how I've set my life up. Is like, hey man, if you don't like this, cut it. You know what I mean? So it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty common thing for me. I just don't I don't do things that I don't like to do. You know, I'm pretty selfish. So if I don't like it, I'm not going to do it, and uh, you know that, that's just how it is. I love I love everything about martial arts, so I found a way to make money doing it, and uh, and have fun with it. James, quick question: uh, Weightlifting is not necessarily associated with with fighting, so I'm curious, how deep into your fighting career did you start lifting weights? Honestly, man, I didn't probably touch a weight until three or four years ago. Uh, I didn't get into a legitimate strength and conditioning program. When I say legitimate, I didn't get into any strength and conditioning program. Until probably like my 23rd pro fight, I think, 22nd pro fight. And it's just, it's, I, I've never been a big lifter uh, at all. My numbers, my weight numbers suck. Uh, I could, I mean, I can't lift shit, man. Like, I'm just not good at it. It's not something I'm, I'm technically sound at. Uh, I don't have impressive numbers anywhere, uh, you know, but it's not a lift off whenever I get in there, you know, in my field, I can use my brain. I can use my physical attributes. I have other attributes that I think make up for my lack of my lack of strength. And, you know, Tyler can probably elaborate on that. You know, I don't think I'm weak in my division. I'm a, I'm a, I'm probably one of the biggest guys in the division. So I don't feel underpowered, but like if you put me next to a dude uh, in my division in a weightlifting contest, I'm probably going to get blown out of the water. And so Tyler, you know, what's interesting is just hearing you say that is, um, you know, this is, Maybe we are progressive thinkers. I know there's other progressive thinkers out there when it comes to the strength and conditioning world. Uh, but one of the biggest fallacies that we are constantly battling with coaches out there and coaches that are are in touch and working with professional athletes for your caliber is they make the training about the numbers. You know, so just seeing, hearing you say like, well, you know, when I walk out of the weight room, I'm not, I don't have the biggest numbers. Like, who fucking cares? Because when you're in the ring and you know it's second round and you're fucking choking somebody out or, or breaking somebody's arm. Nobody cares how much you squat or bench press. You know what I mean? So, you know, one of the things that John always talks about and is really true to our brand is training isn't the test. It's just a vessel 
to the performance, either on the field, in the rink, you know, in the, the octagon, the proverbial octagon of life, if you're, you know, an operator, a military guy, like, no one gives a fuck when the bullets start flying, you know? So, yeah. and I, I think that's what also, you know, do you think that because just by the nature of the training, it's hard to really be a really strong guy in the weight room when you're a martial artist? Like, uh, I shouldn't say hard, but it it could start to detract. Do you think that's why a lot of fighters, like yourself included, you know, early in their careers are not really banging weights or doing a lot of uh, weights training? No, yeah, I mean, no, I think you're exactly right. You hit it right on the head. Like, for me, it is it is hard, though, because, like, I can't I can't put up uh, – I'm a tall guy in my weight class. So I'm six foot two, and I fight at 155 pounds. So anytime – and you can ask Tyler, like, the one time I put on serious muscle mass, it was, like, the worst freaking cut I've ever done in my life. Scary. And, uh, yeah, it made it was hell. You know what I mean? So, but I was big. I was getting big, you know, and I was I was putting good numbers. I was lifting heavy, and uh, but it just didn't. It doesn't work for what I do. You know what I mean? It's not. It's not a. Uh, it's not functional. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. You know because I don't. We're not lifting weights. You know I'm 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 busting this dude's face up, and and he's trying to bust my face up. So that doesn't matter how much I can bench. And another thing is those dudes the the. The stronger they are, I feel like the the less that lasts. You know, for me, I can't lift a lot, but I can lift uh, a decent amount for a long damn time. You know what I mean? Like I can I can last. That's one of my biggest uh, attributes is is cardio and muscular endurance. And I would rather have that than than power for a round or two all day. It just doesn't make sense to me because it's you know it's not like we're locking up every second of the fight. You know, and I'm a, I'm a pretty physical fighter, so uh, I don't really give a shit about the numbers. When people say, oh, I bench this, I lift that, I was like, cool, well. I hit you 10 times to you hit me once. So that's what's important to me. And uh, so I don't really worry about the numbers too much. But every time that I've ever put up decent numbers lifting, my weight cut has been hell and I fought like shit. So it's not something I really look at anymore. Well, probably because it's hard to just, uh, you know, cut muscle mass. I know anytime that we've ever done anything like that, uh, fuck, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, your body fat, I mean, you always feel a little bit better. You lose some body fat and all of a sudden you try to turn off lean, lean body mass and it becomes even fucking more worse. But um, I always think, especially with fighting, uh, really lifting weights wasn't, or never really has been in the MMA kind of martial arts culture. It was more in the boxing stuff. I mean, the boxers always lifted weights. So I think that kind of mentality, we were going out trying to, you know, land big heavy blows on dudes. But, I mean, in terms of the BJJ stuff, I mean, you know, anytime those guys rather keep flexibility. And then you also have to look at economy of time. How much time available in a certain day do you have to training where you can actually have some meaningful good output? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always run into dudes like, oh, I train six hours a day. And you're like, Probably about 45 amount of that was actually meaningful, good training. So I mean, you look at you look at maybe two to three hours of good, meaningful training. So what's the economy of time? Are you going to bang weights for an hour? Are you going to do your fight prep? Are you sparring? Or what are you doing? And especially for uh, you know, kind of a mixed modal type of fighting with like you know, you got to learn not only your stand up but your grounding. And you know, and unfortunately, the only way you're ever going to get conditioned for fighting is fighting, fighting. fighting. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that that's the shit that always kind of tripped me out a little bit where. People are like, I'm doing sports-specific training in the weight room, and I, that, I just kind of always shook my head. And I'm like, no, 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 no. There is general strength training, which is done with weights and barbells, and you can do that. And you can do some conditioning. But at the end of the day, you do your sports-specific training either on the field or in the gym or just doing something that involves actually honing your craft. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, for a lot of the fighter guys, I mean, you know, in the off-season where, you know, maybe they're not gearing up for a fight. I mean, they get in the weight room and they train, but all of a sudden the uh, – you know, they taper into a training camp, and it's like, I mean, you, you guys know better than me what your training camps look like, but it's like how much time available do you have 
um, you know, because you have a finite amount of time, what's available to you guys to really maximize your performance? And unfortunately, you know, maybe getting underneath a barbell isn't the best economy of time when you're like, hey, dude, I got a, I got a sparring partner coming in. We got to roll. We got to do this. We got to do technique work. And on top of it, I got to do recovery. I mean, you know, and I got to eat. I got to sleep. And I got to make sure I'm not too beat up so I can actually get to the fight. So, you know, I mean, that really comes down to the individual. But, John, don't you think, like, uh, you know, we talk about the set principles, specific adaptations to impose demands. If you did have a fighter and, you, and that fighter, the training – was geared specifically towards rate of force development and replication of speed versus absolute strength, right? Using, not necessarily increasing absolute strength, but the rate at which force can be developed. You know, using like a deform collar, cat type shit, uh, using your uh, uh, compacts and, and plyo conditioning type style stuff uh, with a barbell. You know, kind of just simple shit, nothing crazy. Yeah. Don't you think that that would that could improve the performance traits of a fighter? Sure, if they had spent the time in the off season to actually learn the technique, like right. that, that's a big thing we run into. People want to do dynamic work or plyos or a lot of these kind of more ballistic dynamic movements. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that everybody wants to throw those in and they might not be proficient at it. So if you could take somebody and develop all of these movement patterns, yeah, the base level strength. Yeah, but well, just even yeah, I mean, just understanding what what the squat should look like. I mean, we run into people. Case in point, guy we're working with right now wanted to do, um, you know, let's work on, you know, speeds is problem, works on dynamic stuff. But if his technique is so shitty that he hasn't developed it on the back end, it's not always going to be as valuable. But, right. you know, and, and the, the thing which I think makes MMA so exciting um, is that you bring fighters together of different disciplines. Um, you know, and I remember when, you know, it was the Gracies and, dude, nobody could beat the fucking, uh, you know, crazy jujitsu and they like crushed everybody and then you bring in like more of the strikers and then the ground and pound guys and then all of a sudden everybody started training like the the, the Gracie guys were learning to do stand-up they were training with boxers and then um, you know all of a sudden then the ground and pound guys are learning to roll and then you bring in wrestlers and you bring in all these different disciplines and you basically throw them out there and you're like hey man like what are your gloves like six ounces four ounces yeah four ounce gloves which I actually think is better because when you used to fight with the big gloves, dude, you fucking way worse. You take more punishment. But So those dudes come out with four-ounce gloves, and they basically just get to go out there and fucking maul each other, and you see which discipline works the best. And, you know, and then, it, it, you know, especially for the littler guys, I mean, uh, James, you fight at 165, you said? Uh, 155. 155. Fuck, yeah. 155. So, dude, uh, um, everybody always wants to go see the heavyweights, but to me – Fucking heavyweight fights are over so fucking fast because their big dudes just hit each other once and they all go down. You watch like like the lighter guys. I mean, to me, that's where the real fucking fun is because those will usually always go the distance. And then also, you watch a dude take like 50 fucking blows, and the dude still gets up. And you're like, how did he take that many hits? And you think, how much force and how much weight's behind mm -hmm. that? But you know, uh, for those guys, especially at 155, I mean, it's really about how much endurance. And he even said it. He goes, man, he goes, my muscular endurance sure. has to be fucking paramount. So I think. As the fighters go bigger and you see 205 and even the heavyweights, I think that's where you start looking at a little bit more, you know. But but also the other thing, and Tyler and I rapped about this, is the guys that can cut to 155 that might weigh 170, and they can put on that 15 pounds in the 24 hours. I mean, those guys come in and are a big 155. Right. So, <laughs> that's funny. You know? Yeah. It, those guys, it's, man, it's, uh, the game has changed so much now, man. 170, if you come in at 170, at 155, those guys are small now. Really? Oh shit! Yeah, James. James, what do you like? Like, just be honest. What are you right now? <laughs> what an asshole! Uh, prob probably between <laughs> probably between one ninety and one ninety five. All right. So James is about two hundred right now. 
So when hey man, come on, bro. I'm not 200 for sure. Nah, I'm, I'm 190. I think I'm on the lower end of that. I think no, I'm but, 190. But we'll say like James is 190. We'll say 195. I'm just saying that. But like if you look at James right now, like you're not gonna be like, oh, that's a that's a, a an out of shape, overweight dude. Like he'll look normal. Um, so like James can hold 195 and just like look like your average dude. Um, so you know like we'll start camp at you know around like 190, 185. And it's just a normal that that's normal weight, um, you know. So when you're training, it you know you got James who's six foot two at one fifty five, you know, walking around around one eighty five, one ninety, like normal every day to day life, um, you know, fighting one fifty five. It's just that's that's where the the magic of the weight cut happens. And why I'm not a fan of I hate weight cutting. It sucks. Um, you know, I like to say we do it safely, but all these people who want to get rid of the weight cut are people who don't fight or they just they don't they don't use the weight cut correctly because it's an advantage man hey i cut a lot of weight and i'm down to get rid of the weight cut yeah <laughs> what's, uh, what's um so when you say cut, uh, cut a lot of weight like what do you what do you walk out when you're going into training camp probably 85 90 90 and then what about two weeks out you start your weight cut and then you cut to 155 or 156 or whatever it is so yeah. how, how long does it take you guys to cut that low you want to answer that, or you want to no, I was gonna say, what do you? I mean, it, it depends. Like, we'll show up uh, this time, James. I, I wrote it down. But what did you when we are when we got to Pittsburgh? What did you weigh at the at the first check in? With no water or food in me. Uh, Other than traditional, when we ate, you know, breakfast. But yeah, uh, I was one seventy two and a half when I got there. That's how many days before weigh ins? That, that was four. Four days before weigh-ins. But we'd already cut sodium out, and I, I had cut sodium at 176 yeah. and a half. Yeah. You pretty much cut about 10% of your body weight in about four days. Yeah. 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 So, all right. Yeah, that's that's a pretty serious deal. I mean, um, the uh, the other question, too, and I was I, I was always mean to ask Tyler a little bit about this, but, you know, like my experience is more, you know, obviously I played in the NFL, but also I, I boxed when I was younger. So my experience is in that, and I remember – like a big part of the boxing culture was always road work. And I could never fucking figure out like, you know, why road work was so important when we did so much. And, um, you know, and then I had uh, somebody explain to me once that he's like, well, you know, I did road work. My trainer did road work. His dad did road work. And, you know, everybody from Muhammad Ali to uh, Joe Lewis and, um, you know, Rocky Marceno, everybody did road work. And it's kind of a tradition. So in terms of that type of stuff with like, you know, doing road work or any type of traditions that you've seen that maybe you can't figure out, I mean, what really kind of dictates the uh, the MMA world, kind of like that? So for me, like, I just started doing road work again probably three or four fights ago. And for me, it's I don't even push myself super hard. I do uh, 30 minutes three to four times a week at, like, a, if you're on a treadmill, at, like, a 6.0 to 7.0. So it's just a it's just a basic run. You know, I'm not busting my balls or anything like that. And uh, what that does is, like, I want to keep my, my heart rate at, like, I don't remember what it is, but I want to keep it at, like, a mid-level. And what that does is it uh, – so for the for the high-intensity stuff, I do that in strength conditioning. So my explosive movements and my, uh, you know, my sprint work and all that stuff, that's done in conditioning, strength conditioning. But the road work for me is, like, if I'm in a car, you know, and I have the, – the strength conditioning is going to give me the really good high-octane gas, but the road work is just going to give me a bigger gas tank. So, like, I recover faster. And I can go uh, go longer, but for me, road work where I see the biggest difference is just my recovery. So I can recover much faster in the one minute time that I have in between rounds. 
So you think that uh, just basically doing that base level aerobic type work helps just build a bigger engine. Um, is uh, is there any kind of uh, like difference between doing it on the treadmill? I remember a big thing, especially with uh, with us, was that like you can't do road work uh, on a treadmill. You had to actually get up at like when it was dark and run, and it was something about being outside. And I always thought like that was just kind of a lot of history or uh, a lot of wives' tales. But I remember asking them like, "Hey, could we do this on a bike or an elliptical or anything?" And they were like, "No, nah, you got to get out there and run in the mornings." And I was like, "Oh, fuck, this yeah, is so terrible." I personally think this is kind of uh, old school. Uh, the thing I like about running over biking and swimming, because I'm a big swimmer too, I love to swim, but the running is going to build my, my lower leg uh, muscular endurance, like my calves and my Achilles and, and you know my, my legs and stuff like that. It just gives you a different – it works at a couple different muscles that you're not going to get from squats or whatever. I mean, it just kind of hardens those muscles up and preps them for fight time. Um, but, yeah, man, I get it in where I can. I'm not going to go out and run when it's when it's 20 degrees. I'll get on a treadmill, no problem. And in the summertime, I love I love running outside. So, for me, it's just wherever I can get. I hate running either way, so it sucks no matter what for me. So, I just – wherever I can get it in, I can. Now, do you, do you do any aerobic work in the off-season, or is it just primarily in training camp or leading up to it? Uh, I – you know, just to be honest, I try to do uh, – maintenance conditioning and stuff like that but like for me like I don't really have an off season you know if you consider off season in between fights but I still train I still train uh six days a week probably four to six hours a day you know what I mean so like I never get uh super out of shape or anything like that like my out of shape is most people's in shape it's just because I live this life you know what I mean some guys train for fights this is it's my life you know what I mean it's my lifestyle so even when I'm not I don't have a fight I'm still I'm teaching classes and I'm, I'm getting in, I'm showing techniques, I'm going live with my students and stuff like that. So I never just get to a point where I'm like, oh, my God, James is a fat blob shitbox. You know what I mean? Like I never get to that point. James, could you paint the picture for a year for us? We were very familiar with the offseason for football and then the lead-up to training camp and then the full season. Do you paint that picture for a fighter for us? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's different for everybody. I have a lot of stuff going on outside of, of fighting. So for me, I don't fight as much as the next guy. But really, there's no there's no on and off season. It just kind of depends on how many how many times you want to fight and what level you're fighting at. You know, if you're fighting at the highest level of the sport, like for me, there's no way I could just jump back into a training camp right now. My body's still beat up from from the 15 minute fight that I was just in two weeks ago. You know, I'm still my my leg is still black and blue from getting kicked, and I mean it's in two different spots. So like I can't just jump back in right now and start training and getting my ass kicked again. Uh, but, yeah, like don't look at it as like an all-year thing. It's more of like a – so it would probably be like a training camp thing. So let's say, you know, uh, I signed for a fight. You know, I immediately go into a training camp. Some training camps are – you know, if you take a short notice fight, I've taken fights on a couple days' notice when I was in the lower level. Uh, my UFC debut was on 16 days' notice. And then sometimes you'll get up to three months. So it's always good to stay in good shape you know, if you can, but like an ideal training camp is, is probably minimum eight weeks. I personally like the six to eight week mark, anything over eight weeks for me, I started getting burned out because I train harder than most people. So I start wearing myself out and uh, I have a hard time taking breaks and, 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 you know, Tyler can attest to this. Sometimes they got to tell me like, look, man, you just need to take a day off. It's just, it's not something I'm used to. It's, uh, I don't know, man. I feel like I have to feel like shit to be in shape and stuff like that. It's just a mental thing. I think, but so you, you train for your training camp, you know, your last week is probably weight cut. You go to fight. Most guys take a little bit of time off, you know, a week after the fight. And then if you're a good fighter and you're serious about it, you're right back in the gym trying to learn. So like if you don't have a fight, 
my objective is to keep learning, sharpening, you know, sharpening the saw. I want to add more tools to my toolbox. I want to get better at something. Like for me right now, I'm working on a really like traditional martial arts, like a lot of spinning back kicks, a lot of like, uh, you know, traditional stuff because that's kind of making the comeback, you know, with like GSP started it, Conor McGregor is getting real big into it now. And I've been working on it for a while, but you got to keep adding to your toolbox whenever, uh, whenever you don't have a fight. Whenever you get that fight, you need to sharpen the tools that you have. So with the, you, you're probably not going to learn much in the middle of a training camp. You know, you want to make what you do have. You want to make it sharp, and you want to make it, you want to make it proficient. And it, you know, so that's that's kind of the name of the game. And you guys were talking about efficiency earlier with movements and stuff. That's why I don't like to lift because my I suck at it. I'm a, I'm not efficient at it because I haven't been doing that long. So I can't lift weights because my technique sucks. You know what I mean? Like I don't lift a lot of weight. But like if you put me well, on, shit, man, you talk to the right people. Get your ass yeah, out of here, need, dude. You need some I fucking coaching, dude. The last thing I like to hear is anybody tell me my technique sucks because unfortunately or fortunately. That's the easy shit to fix, and like you it's know, the primal, like it's the well, primal movement patterns, like it's well, what well, makes everything up. Sorry, uh, no, it's all right. I mean, so like it's kind of interesting. Like um, I, I don't know if you guys, I mean, uh, you know, McGregor has really kind of brought Ido Portal to the to the forefront, but dude, I've known about Ido for years, and um, uh, you know, Rob Wolf and him are good friends. They actually met each other doing Capoeira, and so dude, we've been watching Ido stuff, and he was involved with Chris Summers, and I mean, just. His stuff about movement is is so fucking cool. Yeah, spot on. Um, and what he's doing is he's just he's just bringing in different uh, movement patterns and teaching like a basic level of competence that you know in MMA that really hasn't existed. Because unfortunately, um, you know, I mean, really the only guy that I saw that was kind of really focused on strength conditioning and that kind of movement stuff, like you said, it was GSP. But being French Canadian, just instantly <laughs> fucking puts it, it at the bottom count. level. I mean, he you know, count. no, no, he, you know, he's got that squeaky voice. He's like, I'm, you know, like, fuck that guy. Yeah. So James, and, uh, the, the challenge is like what Ito is doing in terms of performance perspective for a lot yeah. of this seemingly voodoo movement shit, right? Like, so to an outside well, but untrained other, eye. But, but the other thing you got to remember, and this is my favorite thing about Ito, Ito's a guru. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the one thing and like, um, you know, like it, it's kind of weird. Like people always are like, Hey coach. I'm like, nah, dude, I'm, I'm not a fucking coach. Like I'm a good athlete that can help other good athletes develop. But like the type of person that, and, and you, you guys all like this will this will make sense. I mean, I'm sure there's been people in your lives that like, as they worked with you, uh, helped you believe more in yourself than you ever thought was possible, and they helped kind of clear away the rubble. And for me, it was, uh, you know, Raphael, who I worked with. I mean, you know, when, uh, was uh, my sprint guy and my strength guy for years. Uh, you know, he believed in me more than almost I believed in myself, and that kind of belief allowed me to kind of blossom into as a as a player. And uh, I hate the word blossom. It's such a weird term. But uh, uh, like the one thing that McGregor has done is, uh, you know, Ito has fucking been. I mean, he's that guy's guru. I mean, mm -hmm. he fucking believes in him. And like, if Ito's got him doing some wacky shit, McGregor believes this is going to be the difference. At the end of the day, fucking McGregor's fucking hard as nails and hits like a fucking hammer. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, is it Ito's uh, voodoo or anything? No, dude. Part of what Ito's doing is he's prepping that dude mentally to believe that he is the best in the world, that he has the best training. And what he's doing is making him untouchable at the next level. And but I guarantee we sit down with Ito on the podcast. He can make the performance connection on how this drill transfers to this movement. Well, it's because he invented movement. Obviously. Well, I, I mean, thought uh, didn't uh, move that invent movement. No. <laughs> but no, I guess what no, I'm, the but, point but, I'm but, trying but, to make, John, but, is like but a, the one a, thing, and, and you guys will know this, dude. The one thing which is interesting about gurus is that uh, for the, the the true guru. They have to believe that they've invented this stuff. And you guys have all like in the fight game, you got there's gurus all over being like, you're like, hey motherfucker, you didn't invent the fucking straight right. 
you know, <laughs> like, like, I, and I mean, uh, like in, in strength training and like all my travels, I met these guys that were gurus where they're like trying to tell me, I'm like, dude, come on now. Are you telling me you invented the fucking jump? Like, and that's kind of for me, I think, um, at least why I was, you know, like well, that, that kind of turned me off a little mm -hmm. bit where I'm like, dude, I'm just was a good athlete that was able to adopt a lot of different training styles to kind of bring everything together and, um, you know, hopefully offer other people. But, you know, case in point, the, the door is open. If you want to look or uh, work on not only how to do these movements proficiently, but how to, like, uh, integrate them into your system, the door is always open for you. Yeah, and, and the point I guess I'm trying to make uh, to James or Tyler and, and anybody who's out there like, fuck, fuck weightlifting and, and its uh, application to fight, like, you need a coach who can make – the performance connection, where if you ask them why your hand is this way, why we're doing this weight, wh how many reps we're doing, why are we doing it this specific way, it should map over to a specific moment and scenario in your sport where it gives you an increased performance trait, well, right? Like well, the, um... I absolutely, I absolutely agree with that. And like I don't, with with the guy I use now, like I don't, I don't lift a lot of weights. Like a lot of our movements are just resistance with the current movements we're already doing. So he'll take a movement that we're doing. Let's say I'm clearing my hips from getting off my back. You know, I'm trying to stand back up. He'll mm -hmm. take that movement and he'll add resistance to it with a band. I love what we're doing, and I think there's a place for all all the lifts and everything. What I'm telling you guys is, if like if I go do a powerlifting competition, your boy is probably not going to win. Dom. But you shouldn't win. That you should. <laughs> well, here's the you deal. should be able to get everybody up there. <laughs> if, yeah. If you did win, then obviously, see, th this is what people don't realize is that to be the best of the world, you have to be fucking uber-specialized at what you do. So, like, the idea of, like, I'm going to be good at everything is only good for people that are mediocre at everything. So the idea is if you're going to be the best in the world, you have to be 100% focused on that fucking task. So if we went in and you did a powerlifting meet and you won, the time and effort that you would take to not only be proficient in lifts and train and fucking prepare for that would take away from what's really fucking putting food on the table, which is yeah. fucking being wholesale ass. And, uh... You know, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, it, it, it's kind of interesting. Like, um, the transition from, from fighting and boxing into football was actually a really simple transition for me because it was about, you know, using your hands, body control, you know, your relationship into another athlete, and then footwork, which is all we fucking did in boxing. And the one thing that, that was always uh, interesting, and you guys know this in the fight game, the person that usually has the fastest hands is the one that's able to land the most punches. So, like, and, and I'm sure you guys yeah. have watched film on dudes, and you're like, man, this motherfucker, his hands are so fast. And, like, to me, that was the, the best compliment, so it was something we worked on all the time, and that was, like, uh, uh, something that was so important to me. I mean, dudes with slow hands got knocked out, especially in football. Dudes with slow hands got a lot of punches in the face. And, um, you know, so, like, being able to look at those individual traits and then realizing what skills you have, and I'm sure, you know, like if I asked you, like, what's your wheelhouse as a fighter? Uh, that's probably a better question for Tyler. What do you think? No, honestly, if, if, uh, James, if, if, if I asked you as a fighter, being like, all right, uh, you know, fucking, you get knocked down, everything's looking fucking dark, what's your fucking wheelhouse? Like, what's the one thing that you have you can hang your hat on in your darkest moment? The proverbial crane kick? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, because, uh, you know, like, I, I always think like that, like, uh, I mean, fuck, I mean, you watch fighters, and you're like, dude, once this dude gets knocked down, you're going to watch him close the gap and just fucking try to punish somebody's body, or he's going to go for that one takedown, or he's going for this. So yeah, I, I mean, think, I, like, I have a couple different tricks that I'm really good at. Uh, I have a good guillotine choke. I have a good right high kick. Uh, a couple just tricky things. Like, I don't, like I said, it's just, 
uh, I don't have like one thing that's like my go-to. I don't feel like, but I'm good at. Uh, I think maybe the one thing is the ability to do everything. If that makes sense, you know, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. Well, well, I, I and, and the other one is, can you suffer? I mean, that's really like uh, in sporting, like dude, especially playing football, and I know in the fight game, like everybody's fucking in, you know, before the bell rings. And then the minute you get out there and you take that first fucking shot, I mean, you all of a sudden, and I, I know, you, dude, I, I mean, shit, you guys watch Ultimate Fighter and you guys have been in enough fights to know that, like, everybody's got a big heart <laughs> when you're walking out there. And the minute that fucking you get hit, yeah. you watch dude's hearts fucking shrink. And uh, we used to talk about it all the time, be like, man, I don't know what happened. I hit that dude, his heart shrunk up. And it ended up looking like a fucking candy Valentine's Day heart. And, uh, like, that analogy, but, like, you know, that I think is, you know, and then you guys run into other guys, you fucking hit them once, and all of a sudden their heart swells up, and you're like, oh, fuck, dude, I just unleashed something. He's praying that's, for me. That's yeah. me. That's, that's, I'm, I'm, that's all I am good at. <laughs> dude, I, I told Luke the story that uh, I was playing in, we were playing in Washington, D.C. I was playing for the Eagles, and there was this big fucking strong brother that was playing uh, three technique over me, and I can't remember his name for the life of me. I mean, he looked like a fucking million dollars, like looked like a pro bodybuilder. And uh, I came out and was just spearing him in the head, just fucking beating his body up. And um, all of a sudden, after I beat on him for about a quarter, I decided I was fucking gonna show up a little bit, and I threw him over the pile when I uh, on a on a like on a run play, I threw him over. And I waited, and as he like went over the pile, he went to get up, and I dove over the pile and speared him in his fucking ear hole. <laughs> and uh, I got up, and I totally teabagged him. And um, you guys are familiar with the teabag? Uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Demo? that's when you wait for a guy to get up, and then you pop up fast, and you just kind of like wipe your nuts on his head as he walks over. Oh, I did it. And uh, he like all of a sudden fucking gets this look in his eye, and he starts looking up, and he starts praying real loud for me. To asking God to forgive me for Dear what God, I, forgive I, him for what he's done. Dude, he was fucking sermon, and Trey Thomas, who I played next to, was like, yo, man, you better back it off. He's praying for you. I was like, fuck him, and fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> fucking bitch, and fuck him. I mean, I've been beating on this dude, and uh, that next play, we ran like an inside zone to the right, and I'm playing left guard, and he literally ran through my head, like, slammed my neck to the right, like, went through and tackled for like a one-yard loss. And uh, I was like, okay, I see it. And he was still praying for me. And Trey's like, man, you better, you better make up with him. And then the, third, <laughs> the, the next play, he fucking did the exact same thing. He drove me like five yards in the backfield and like tackled the ball carriers. He was getting the ball, and I'm like, all right, I shouldn't have done that. And then this I was like, uh, oh, no, I, I went over to him. And I'm like, I'm really a, sorry. I didn't mean to like insult <laughs> God or anything. And that he was like, it's okay. God forgave you about two minutes ago. And I'm like. <laughs> So then, course, do the bro dance thing. And, and, then, and then at that point, I was like, I'm just, I'm just not going to make you look bad anymore. So we kind of just like played a little bit of patty cake for the neck, which was totally against my deal. But I'm like, man, I can't just do crazy. Is that, but is that is that I shouldn't say prominent, but that exists. Like, there's kind of like a handshake where it's like, hey, let's just take some take five plays, make each other look neutral. Or does that uh, is well, that just I, like uh, maybe? I mean, unfortunately, as a white dude, I never got that fucking yeah. deal because they were like, ah, oh, because there was always this deal. Be like, man, you gonna let that white boy beat up on you? And I was like. Because I, granted, my, you know, I, I used to see a lot of the brothers, fucking brother-in-law. We used to call that the brother-in-law. Yeah, that's what, because that's what, in my heyday, high school, right, when I was fucking 14 years old, uh, practicing against the varsity squad. You know, I'm trying to make a name for myself, be fucking big time, and, and these guys, like, were like, hey, listen, we'll give you one if you give us four. How's that? <laughs> it was like the brother-in-law, and I'm like, I had no clue. Yeah, it was the fucking and uh, one of my, one, my best friend back then, Colin McCurry, was like a five-foot-tall, just little fucking fire plug. And like against this dude who was triple his size, like a six foot five, three hundred pound. He's like, hey, McCurry, I'm gonna let you get this one. 
and fucking like the biggest mismatch. This dude just gets worked by fucking McCurry, and the whole thing just stopped him. Like, there's no brother-in-law in, in practice. And the coach just fucking like blew up. I was curious. It's just well, it, looks like it carries over the pro level. No, in, but in the fight game that doesn't happen. Oh fuck no! Like, <laughs> like no. I'd like it, unless you get some lazy, <laughs> you get some mean no, motherfucker in there. You be get like some lazy ass smoke that just want to lay on each other. <laughs> it's almost, game. it's almost like the opposite in the fight game. Like I, like no one tries to like when Jane spars, he don't really try to knock people out. When Jane spars me, he tries to kill me. So like, I well, swear, Tyler, like, I know you, and I would try to fucking yeah, kill or be too. killed. Anyway, I don't know what it is. It's just Tyler incites people to violence. You see him out there, and he's all gangly. And you're like, I'm gonna fucking kill this. <laughs> no, I got a rule. I've only tried to kill you one time, and that's because you broke the rule. <laughs> What's the rule? The rule is, if your foot touches my face, we fucking fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you kicked him in the face, huh? Yeah, yeah. Mark, mark your calendar. That happened. <laughs> was that some, like, weird no, like obviously, obviously not hard enough. That's the problem. <laughs> but it was, it was no. I mean, seriously, like when I go with, if I'm going with just someone, you know, like you'll prove points. Like there's guys. I mean, James, I know can think of a few. There's been a, a few guys in the past. Uh, there was one guy, James's gym, that that kept kicking me between the legs. Like he just, he just kept doing it and kept on, and it, I, I wanted to, I wanted to murder him. Um, after that, but usually, like when I go with got like, best friends and stuff, I, I'm, it's different almost. Like I, I try to, I try to knock James's head off. I can't. Um, so, but I try to make it the most gritty, grimy. He'll take, you know, like he'll be on top, like like hit me, and I'm like healing him in his legs. Like I've got my my heels and just digging my heels into his legs and his back and stuff. What uh, about the uh, just gratuitous fucking nut shot? Like, I always wonder, like, uh, you know, some of those low blows of dudes, like, hey, fuck you, you do that again, and he just hauls off and fucking drills a dude in the balls. Oh, you mean a mulligan? Mulligan. That's what I, I explained to Luke. In MMA, we call that a mulligan. So if, if I'm losing a fight, if I'm telling, you know, one of my one teammates, if you're losing the fight, your back's against the cage, you're getting beat up, that's the perfect time to knee the dude right in the balls because all that's going to happen, they're going to separate you, you're going to get five minutes off, and then you get to start over. It's a mulligan. Uh, MMA mulligan. mulligan. Well, oh, you got to kind of make it look like an accident, right? No, just like just straight yeah. up fucking toe punt right to the fucking nuts. You mean yeah, you don't? You can't like pick we, the guy off, off his feet with a shin, you know? We, we used to call that the Sean Landetta. Uh, <laughs> Sean Landetta punted in the NFL for like 25 years. And uh, during a play, uh, this fat piece of shit fucking poked me in the eye. And I pulled back and I gave him the Landetta square of the balls. <laughs> and they ended up finding me fucking 20 Gs for that. So I played that game for free, That mother, those motherfuckers. And then you got the little, like, didn't Jared Allen get fined for, like, giving a ball tap? Do you remember that, like, five years ago? Uh, yeah, but I think Ten he, years he ago. was a quarterback. Like, I think he fucking, like, kind of, like, as he was getting up, fucking karate chopped the quarterback in the balls. Was I forget. Was? I think it was That's a great. He's got He's got enough money Yeah. <laughs> it was like a friendly ball tap, just bro, bro on bro, you know? Bro on bro ball taps. I love it. <laughs> you know, I mean, you get in the locker room after, you're like, hey, bro, watch out. Yeah, that's what balls are for. When you don't know that there's a rule in the NFL, it's called no naked man touching. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it's a big deal. So, so like, a legitimate rule. There's a legitimate unsaid rule. One is, like, you have been, you make eye contact with dudes at all times, and there's no naked man touching. That's weird. So I want I want eyes on my package. And no sharing shower heads. <laughs> So oh, sure. that, that, that was a big one with like the rookies who walk in and like, can I borrow, can I, he sewed me up, I kind of hurt my shoulder from the shower head, and they'd always be like real nervous. So it, like, was this a finable offense? 
No, or was it just like uh, you get exiled? I, I, watched, I watched dudes fucking fight over this. I, t- I saw two guys go to blows, which was awkward because one dude rubbed up against him, mm-hmm. and the dude turned it off and hauled and hit him, and they were fighting naked. And I was like, you guys are fucking abusing. You're breaking the, the rules. You're breaking I was the like, rules. dude, you went from naked man. You dude, you elevated that from naked man touching to extreme naked man wrestling, which is. Oh funny. no. Yeah. It was weird. And then nobody wanted to pull them off because they were naked. Was, <laughs> to touch I contact. Everyone's like, I contact. Yeah, I contact. Like, uh, that's awkward. Well, we got down into naked man wrestling. Well, I'm just glad to know this podcast has really deteriorated now with Callie. Because <laughs> we, we used to have uh, Callie, one of our coaches, who's a woman uh, or a girl. Uh, she used to be on here. And whenever things would start to fucking deteriorate, she'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. But yeah. she, she'll go back and edit the shit out anyway. Maybe. Probably not. She didn't even listen to him anymore. Hello, it's me. You guys, of course I still listen to the show. I could never tire of listening to you talk about ball slapping. Now back to the show. Hello from the other side. So, uh, I guess, how long, um, Tyler, when, or James, when was like a... When would you say that moment was that you realized that you fucking made it big in UFC and you're like, this is a fucking real deal and I'm, you know. Uh, still hasn't happened. <laughs> oh, yeah. So never please. Never. Well, I, I was uh, going to say when he started working with Tyler Minton. Yeah. Thanks, James. No, I mean, man, I don't, uh, you know, I, I'm never happy with, with what I did. I'm pretty disappointed in my last performance. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I know that I'm good. And I know that I'm a world-class fighter, but to me, uh, it's not enough. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, uh, I want to be successful in everything I do, and, and I don't like losing – I don't like losing at a game of checkers. So, uh, you know, it's – I just I'm, – I'm very, I'm very happy with what I've accomplished so, for, uh, so far. That being said, uh, I'm not happy with, in the grand scheme of things, where I am right now. And I just – you know, I have a lot, I have a lot more to offer. Uh, I have a lot more to show everybody. Um, but, you know, like, I guess to answer your questions, like my first fight in the UFC, you know, I, it was a, it was a very pivotal moment for me. And just the, just the win itself did a lot for me. I fought a guy uh, named Sam Stout. Uh, he'd, had, he'd had 16, uh, 16 fights in the UFC, eight fight of the nights. And uh, I grew up watching this guy, you know. So that was my first fight in the UFC. I, took, I fought him on 16 days notice in his hometown of, in Canada. And uh, – you know, he, he hadn't been finished in seven years, so it was a really, really tough fight for me. Uh, but I took it, you know, and then we ended up going to going to war and uh, had fight of the night, and I ended up finishing him with, like, 13 seconds left, and I got submission of the night, too. So it was, it was really one of the – it was a very uh, pivotal moment. It's probably the biggest accomplishment in my life so far. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was a great moment for me. It kind of uh, legitimized – uh, myself to myself, if that makes sense. You know, I, I was like, okay, fine. Like I knew this before, but there was just, you know, maybe 1% doubt, you know, and I finally did it and I finally showed everybody. So now it's like, okay, this is real. Like I know I've proven this now. Yeah. So like, you know, the, the uh, kind of welcome to the league moment, I guess. Uh, and I get where I'm getting to is, you know, John, as a veteran of like a rags to rich, the proverbial rags to riches, whether, how, however you look at that, what type of advice do you have for, for James, because how, how long ago was that fight, James? Uh, that would have been uh, three years ago. So three years into, like, that moment and now kind of, like, uh, striving for excellence and everything that comes along with it, you know? Well, what was weird was, uh, for me, I, as uh, I came in starting, played as a rookie, and then 
I remember uh, I got hurt when I came back that second year, and I was you know kind of in the fight with it. And I remember the general manager walking over to me and like basically told me, "It's like, hey man, uh, you know, like we're in this together because you were my draft pick." And he's like, uh, "You know, I expect you to start because you know if you do real well, that's going to help my job." And I was like, Ooh. "So the general manager is, uh, you know, like that was a big fucking moment for me." So I always wonder with you guys, especially, I mean, you know, with you know, your guys. Man, God, Dana White. I mean, I imagine like at some point that dude kind of comes over and like the Godfather puts the ring out to kiss it. And you're like, should I kiss the ring? Probably fucking kiss the ring. So I always wonder if there's like somebody in the fight game, um, you know, kind of comes over there, puts their hand on their shoulder, or kind of offers you that little deal, or maybe it's just purely like, you know, this guy's big time, and I just went out and beat his ass. I just wonder always yeah. kind of like what that like moment is, you know, even though you've gone out and played, like all of a sudden when people that are key players in the organization start realizing or start kind of acknowledging you in a different way. And you're like, wait a minute, hold on. These people fucking ignored me fucking a month ago. And next thing you know, they're actually like, Hey, what's happening? Yeah. They know your name. Yeah. They, yeah, they know your name. Yeah, I, remember I think that that's, I think that like, that is just like, uh, collectively, I don't think it was like one moment, but I think collectively over time, you know, you have other big fighters that you respect saying good things about you. You have the commentators who watch, you know, thousands of fights, you know, hundreds of thousands of fights probably, saying good things about, you know, I have, I have Joe Rogan talking about me on his podcast. I have other guys, you know, saying stuff about me too. And it's, it's like collectively over time it adds up like, Oh wow. You know, these guys think highly of me. And then I have people that I surround myself with that are, are very critical people. And I like that, you know, I like, I like being challenged and I like, I like pressure. So I, I try to impress these people around me that, uh, you know, that, that think very highly of me because if I can impress them, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to impress myself. You know, I just don't, uh, I don't look at it the same as, as other people do, man. Like I'm just, I'm just out here having fun, man. I'm just a kid from a little small town out here having fun and, and trying to make, trying to make a couple checks, you know? So to me, it's, it's, I've already gone, I've already done way more than I ever thought I was going to do. So, you know, I try to impress the people close by me that are very critical. And if I can impress those people, man, it's that I, I honestly, I really don't care about pressing Dana White or any of those guys. Cause you know, that it has, you know, it, it just is what it is. You know, I want to impress the people that are close to me, that know me, that know my that know my mind, that know what I'm thinking, they know my life, and uh, they're very critical of me and my performance. Oh, okay. Uh, dude, that's uh, – how, how, what did you say? You're 28, 27? 29. 29. You know, it's uh, – when I came in the NFL, they had this deal called the Rookie Symposium, which uh, was – all the rookies that get drafted end up going this big deal and they bring in a bunch of ex-players. And I remember as I was sitting there, uh, one of my favorite pieces of advice I ever heard as a young guy was this guy gets up there and he kind of, you know, gets up and gives a few words and he goes, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of advice. Don't make a hoe a housewife. (laughs) (laughs) And like everybody kind of stopped and he's like, I'm going to break this up. He's like, if you can think you can take a girl off the pole and bring her to the house and get her to make dinner and raise your kids, you're fucking sorely mistaken. That's going to fucking result and uh, all your money being gone, having a bad experience, and this dude went into all these things, and, like, he's like, don't make a whole housewife. And then, like, kind of somebody, like, kind of asked a question, and he's like, I know all you motherfuckers are doing, I'm speaking from personal experience, because I married a girl and tried to bring her off the pole, and it fucked my whole life up. <laughs> and this dude went into this whole thing, and, like, and then I, I can't remember what it was. It was like, uh, like, don't make a whole housewife, and he had all these funny ones. He's like, man, don't ever drive around in a car smoking weed with a bunch of other dudes smoking weed. And, like, he had, like, the fucking funniest ones, but, uh, Oh, yeah. Don't ever um, give your money as a financial advisor to a dude that has a nickname like Mad Dog. 
Cobra. <laughs> right? Like that. What? Oh, you have a financial advisor. What's his name? Uh, Cobra. Yeah, yeah. He was like, he's like, your financial advisor's name Cobra or Matt? Yeah. Don't have him. And then the other one was like, you can't retire on rims. And uh, it was like, what do you mean? He's like, Case in point, when I went uh, a couple years later, I came in and one of the dudes on our team had ordered, um, what was it? It was 13. No, it was 20, uh, 20, was it, 24 rims. So he ordered six sets of rims because he had been driving around on his big 26 inches with like a little rubber band tires and uh, kept cracking rims on those Philly streets. So he said, fuck this. And he, the guy, I guess they told him if he ordered more. So the dude had 24 of these huge fucking 26-inch rims delivered to, this, to the facility. So he came in and like his whole locker around there was all these rims. And he was like, had them. And uh, he dropped something like, I think each rim was like $3,000. So I mean, what's that? Like $75,000 on a set of rims, on a bunch of rims for his truck. And the best part is, is the guy had lived in apartments, so he had nowhere to store them. So he had to pay the equipment guy to store them in the equipment room. And then <laughs> he fucked up a rim, he came and did it. Case in point, you can't retire on rims. So if you go drive $75,000 on fucking rims, you probably should be driving a stock fucking car. Yeah. And, uh, so that was my favorite. But I always remember, don't make a whole housewife and don't have a financial investor with a nickname. And this guy was speaking from personal experience because I guess he had some dude named Mad Dog who's his financial advisor stole all of his money and the other rest of his money got stole by his stripper wife. So the moral story is, you know, that that was a little bit of advice. So whenever I talk to the young guys here, especially power out there, I tell them we can't make a whole housewife. So, <laughs> But I'm going to try my goddamn thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and like the other one was like, no matter – what she makes you believe at the strip club, she really don't like you that much. <laughs> like it was, it was fucking. It, it, like I wish that somebody, and I'm sure somebody's done it now, like brought in a video camera and video camera the shit that they say at the Ricky Symposium. That was the one where Chris Carter got up and he's like, "Yo, man, when you guys are going out, you need to have like your boys with you. So if something bad happens, you got one cat that's the fall guy." That's what he got up and told him. He's like, "You guys get busted, you got one dude that you've already paid. Yeah, pay he's a fall the guy. fall guy at all times." They, they got up and fucking that's, said that. That's good, though. I, yeah, I mean, dude, it was like there were there was another one where uh, uh, they did these little like um, impromptu kind of like situations. They brought in actors and they had different players in these acting deals. And one of them was like a party and like had brought up like one of these guys and he was supposed to be at the party having a good time. And the girl starts rubbing up on him and like all of a sudden the uh, like the there was this dude named. I can't remember his name, but he was like the head troop guy. He'd be like, freeze. <laughs> and then, like, everything would stop. And then he would ask players, like, hey, like, what's going on in this situation? And, like, the girls rubbing up on him, they go freeze. And all these dudes are like, man, she wants it. He, he needs to take her in the back of the banger. And these dudes are getting all mad. And they're like, I'm like half of these motherfuckers are going to be in jail just for fucking being <laughs> sexual predators. Dude, it's like uh, ballers, uh, fucking the rock on ballers. Yeah. One, I'm like halfway through, I'm fucking hack. It's awesome. But there's like, that he, that's basically what he does. He babysits these guys, and then there's, like, you know, there's scenes where they're on, like, this fucking yacht, just basically raging it, and obviously there's cell phones there, and the shit gets out, and then the uh, press, like... I am just really thankful that um, cell phone cameras and, like, all of that stuff was just starting out. Like, I, like, I... Yeah. So your sins are... are, just, <laughs> are next, memory. next topic. I am glad that, that my children, like, there's nothing out there of any of the crazy shit we did. So I'm just really glad. But uh, case in point, like, that's the world we live in. Whether or not you're a fighter, I mean, fuck, dude, that happened to a bunch of guys I know. I mean, shit, that one guy who's the receiver for the Patriots, I mean, fucking took down some broad. Jeez. And she all of a sudden, 
laying in bed with him, he's sleeping, snaps a picture and loads it to her Tinder, being like, look who I just banged. And you know what? Like, and uh, I was like, and I remember when that came up, I'm like, that's fucked. And my wife's like, why is that fucked? I'm like, because that's fucked. Do that. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife's like, she, she's trying to, I'm like, so what now? She's trying to fucking up her status by the fact that she went home with that dude? I'm like, come on. Gotta keep this yeah, shit you got to see, here's what you don't understand. Like, you're on your ivory tower of your professional athletes, on your rims, tower of rims. You know, there's guys like me that need to level up. If that means <laughs> I'm taking down Edelman and taking a selfie with them, Dude, and you, that gets me if, level up, if, I'm if doing it. If you take down Edelman and get a selfie, you all of a sudden fucking just went up really high <laughs> on the book. I mean, you know. <laughs> and that was like, you know, if I were female. Oh, oh okay, okay. Which I'm not. <laughs> uh, so let's wrangle this back in. Uh, James, so do you know any details on like upcoming fights or what's coming up next? I know like healing and recovery is obviously your priority what, uh, right now. What are you doing for your recovery? Like, are, are, are you being proactive? Are you seeing a doc? Are you uh, uh, prolotherapy? Anything like that? Uh, it's been pretty difficult because I've been on the road ever since I fought. But I mean, I've I have a uh, chiropractor that I go to. I've seen him a couple times, and I actually just got a massage this morning. So I'm uh, you know whenever I get back, I'll just uh, you know I'll probably just the normal stuff, you know, I, there's really not a ton of stuff that I can do, you know, I'm trying to, my thing is, is like, Tyler's like, hey, you need to take some time off, and I'm like, look, bro, if I get, take time off, I'll be 200 pounds, so it's like, catch 22, so I'm trying to like, train without hurting myself, if that makes sense. Totally. Where, uh, where do you live in Kansas City? I live in Lee Summit. Oh, okay, I used to live in OP. Yeah, 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 so about 20 minutes from there. Yeah, oh yeah, no, I do, I, yeah, I lived out there four years and I played for the uh, the Chiefs. Nice, yeah, very nice. So, yeah, I know the area, the actual gun shop that I used to buy my guns from was in Lisa. Oh, yeah? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah well, uh, you know, that's kind of a, like, if you're from Kansas or from really any other state other than California, uh, like, actually buying gun, going and buying a gun or, like, going and shooting is actually a um, somewhat enjoyable experience. Yeah, it's not that crazy. Uh, to yeah, yeah, like, uh, you know, and there's some different places. This guy, this place we went, the guy was at good prices and was real, you know, was real good on things. And uh, in here in California, you have to give like blood, hair, and semen samples, and then uh, pictures of your kids, and go through a 10-day waiting period just to get a fucking anything. So it's always like whenever I hear anything, I'm like, oh, it's the best times, not this California bullshit. <laughs> yeah, you can walk right in and get a gun same day if you pass a background check. Dude, you can buy many. Uh, Kyle Turley, who was uh, one of the guys I played with, we used to actually live uh, kitty corner from the uh, the bullet hole, not too far from there. You know, the bullet hole we're up in, uh, well, it's in Kansas City, uh, kind of downtown. I've and, heard of it, uh, but I've never been there, though. So we used to roll in, and the guy's like, uh, you know, you got, you know, like, basically shoot whatever you want, buy whatever you want. We're like, oh, he's five guns. He's like, yeah, sure, take them. You know, if you want to bring me some money next, you know, like, oh, 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 you know, demos. I mean, you know, so that was those were good days. So James, when you if you're not training, recovering, fighting, do you have any? Do you do anything outside of uh, you know? I think spend time with family. You know, I think you got a young daughter just came out, right? Yeah, I have a nine month old daughter. If I'm not if I'm not training or anything like that, I'm working probably. I work I would say probably twelve hours a day. Tyler hates coming and staying with me because nah. he's yes he does. He's like, are we just gonna stay here at the gym all day? I said, yeah, man. Yep, we're staying here. So I'm like, I'm like, probably eight to eight every day. You know what I mean at the gym, and 
you know, I try to fit time in for, for family and stuff like that. So it's either work or work or family, man. I really don't have a lot of free time other than that. No, I'll, I'll just, just, here's where I jump in. Cause, cause James is in, in, insanely modest and stuff like this. And, you know, dude's my best friend. So I'll back him up. The, the one thing, you know, and I work with a lot of, of, of different guys and, you know, I, I am, you know, I guess semi-retired uh, professional fighter myself. Like the thing about James that's different is James has reached this, this, you know, the, the highest level of fighting. You know, he's reached the UFC, but he's literally living the life of, of everybody else, which is crazy, um, you know, because it, it kind of goes against the grain of everything you hear about, um, you know, like you need to, you, you can't work. You just need to do all this all the time. All you need to do is train. It's like James does all that, but he also, like I said, he wakes up, man, there was, I, I would wake up like 6.30 some mornings and go downstairs and he's already awake. Um, you know, he wakes up super early, watches watches TV with his kid, gets to the gym at eight, um, and it's not just like going to the gym and sitting behind a desk. He gets to the gym at eight. He holds mitts for some of his professional fighters that you know are trying to get to the UFC that aren't there yet. Um, you know, he'll, he'll do like three, four private sessions with these guys for no nothing. I mean, they're not paying him for that. He just does it because he's invested in making them better. Then fight training, which fight training, I've been to the best gyms in the world. Uh, well, in the nation, sorry. I've been to the best gyms in the nation, like all the big-name gyms, the ones that you hear and all of that, and none of them train, in my opinion, as hard as Glory MMA. It's it's absolutely terrible. That's why anytime the, the, the CrossFit workout fight gone bad inherently drives me nuts because those people have no idea what a fight gone bad is actually like. Um, you can look through my pictures and see exactly what a fight gone bad is. Um, so... You know, going to fight training and fight training is is what James like an hour of constant drilling. And when I say drilling, it's it's almost it's live action drilling, followed by uh, you know five five minute rounds of of live work. You know, striking with takedowns, uh, just full out wrestling and all this. Then you go eat lunch, you come back to the gym, uh, he, he, you know it's business meetings, it's stuff like this. You know, maybe some more privates. Then you have another session at night. And you do the exact same thing at night. You get done at night. You go eat. You know, uh, you know, still business. There's things you got to do. There's emails. There's. Uh, when you know, do the sumo deadlift high pulls? The sumo deadlift. <laughs> you, uh, you, you were talking about fight gone bad, and you know, theoretically, you know, just doing sumo deadlift high pulls <laughs> and some 75 pound, you know, other things would theoretically, you know, make you a better like, fighter. You know, I mean, that would be like fighting, really. Exactly. It's very. It's it's really similar. Like uh, the 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 sumo deadlift high pull is it, it parallels getting kicked in the face uh, really well, um, but kind of the same demands. Uh, well, well, I could be a fighter then. <laughs> well, you, but no. Well, no, you don't really have a very good sumo deadlift. Are you pull. fucking kidding me, <laughs> bro? Let's go. One arm sumo what? deadlift. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. One arm sumo deadlift high pull. He took offense to that. <laughs> no, but uh, but seriously, man. So it, it, it's it's really cool and and you know and, and I get I get people that make you know like make fun of me and stuff all the time and call James my boyfriend. But dude, James, James, you were talking about like coaches that have like made an impact on your life. Like, dude, James has probably impacted my life more than anybody I've ever met. Um, just because he's this guy who has reached that level and dude, he's not even really like told you know his whole story of getting to that level and it's not an it's not an easy it wasn't an easy road. He wasn't he wasn't that guy like that you see the UFC. Some he wasn't CM Punk who just gets a call. Hey, we want you. Um, it was you know he got a call of hey we need you to come take this last minute fight because we need someone to get their butt kicked by Sam Stout who's going to make all this money. 
Um, and that's exactly what it was. It was Sam Stout fighting in Sam Stout's home country. They weren't bringing James in to win that fight. They were bringing James in to, to take an easy, you know, to give Sam Stout an easy win against the guy who's not, who's going to make it look good. And James goes out there and absolutely destroys him. Um, you know, comes home, buys a gym with that money. And it's, it's, it's also one of the, you know, most profitable businesses I've ever personally been involved with and seen too is, uh, like, you know, James's gym is uh, like an absolute amazing MMA gym. It's not one of these hole-in-the-wall gyms where guys just get together and punch each other. I mean, it's 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 the it, it's it's a well put together business, man. It's just uh, so he, he's not giving himself nearly enough credit on that stuff. So I, I want to jump in and, and do all that because it's it's I, I would highly doubt there's anyone else in the UFC that has nearly as much going on. So it's it's pretty crazy to actually see that in person. Keep going. <laughs> I was like, I, no, no wonder he's uh, you're his girlfriend. I mean, I haven't heard anybody fucking blow anybody like that in a long time. I'm serious, man. No, I got, but seriously, he, he, he oh, was so he, good, James. Oh, he's so good. So what you, so what the listeners can't see because we're on video is Tyler's actually rubbing James' feet right now. You know, just a nice central foot massage. Seems to be candlelit. Uh, they're both shirtless. That's just what's going on. Uh, that, so Luke's actually uh, <laughs> so, and I'm jealous. Well, uh, he's, <laughs> I know. A little bit of drool come down his lip, which was a little. I mean, he had a starry-eyed lip, where he's, he's I know that to, to, to go and act to go with that though. Honestly, just because the weight cut is a really, it's an annoying time. You know, like it's it's not a very fun time and all this. So we were. <laughs> Tyler, do you cut weight side by side with these guys? Sometimes. No, he does. Like, like not the same. Like this last time, because I had two guys. I'm going back and forth. First of all, fuck you. What oh. you need to do, if you were really his fucking man and his boy, you That's would right. come in and cut fucking pound for pound with him and do it right with him. Damn right. Listen to this. Anyway, so <laughs> I was in the sauna. Well, I mean, I, I was in the sauna with James or whatever, and we we use something called Abilene, which is a it's a makeup remover or something, but it makes you sweat. And so like you actually put it on large muscle parts and it, it makes those muscles, it makes you sweat more. So we're in the, we, we're in the sauna and there's all these other guys in there and it's, you know, like they're just really comfortable being naked and all that. And it's just really weird. So we're in there and we're talking and, and like, once it gets to the point, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of tired. You're, you know, we, we start to deplete the glycogen a little bit. So you're not able to, uh, like you're not moving fast, you're not thinking very clear, you don't want to think, and that's kind of one of the things, you know, like I try to tell James is I try to do all the thinking for him during that time because he's not, you know, he's not got glycogen. So, like, it's, I'm putting, I, I take Abilene, and you can't reach your back, your back's a large part. So I'm, like, putting Abilene on James's back, and, like, the five other dudes in the sauna are giving us these really weird looks. And I'm like, like past the point like of giving a shit about it. I'm like past the point of giving a shit about anything. Yeah, yeah so yeah, I'll, I get it. Like, is there a, like, hey, are you putting that on me next kind of look? Yeah, or is it more like why are you guys rubbing lotion on each other? So so really loudly, like I mean I, I said it so they could all hear it. I'm like, James, did you explain to these guys that we're gay porn stars so this isn't weird? <laughs> and he's just he just looks at me and just kinda nods and just kinda one by one, you know, and, and about about a minute later, we were the only ones in there. Uh, you know what? That's that's fucking. Uh, to quote Luke Summers, that's puss. That's pussy. At that point, I'm sticking in the yeah, I was gonna say. I said, all of a sudden, Luke just went and hung his fucking towel up on the hook and sat back down. Let's get weird. Yeah, be like, if something's going, if something's going down, I want to be first. Yeah, oh, Luke God. Summers made his bones by always going first, not by going last. <laughs> Uh, I like to think that the you know we were talking about like the unwritten rules of the locker room. 
Uh, I was thinking of the person, one of my best friends who would never make it in a locker room with rules like that is Dusty Crackers. Oh, yeah. By far the weirdest person who has rubbed off on me, literally. (laughs) (laughs) The weirdest person in the world that just has taken my threshold for weirdness to a whole different level. And I'm not even on his fucking level, man. It's fucking He's strange. He's a strange cat. Uh, But, uh, Tex, you got anything else? Yeah, James, I just got to suggest, I found it interesting in your off-season, you would go and then learn techniques. So I, I would suggest that you come out to HQ and just learn not only lifting techniques, but kind of our, our movement prep. So don't think of training as limited to a barbell and, and weight movements. It's also kind of stepping, lunging, and what Luke mentioned, primals. Man, I'm 100% down. I'm not I'm not closed-minded about anything. I'd, I'd, I'm, a, I'm a continuous learner, man. So, yeah, absolutely, I'd love to come out. Or shit, better yet, we go back to Kansas City and John can oh, relive his heyday at the Chiefs, show us where he bought his guns, where he'd shoot them. Yeah. Uh, Who knows? A little, a little field trip? Uh, yeah, I, I always like Kansas uh, That's not true. I didn't really like Kansas City. I was going to say, come on now, don't lie, bro. <laughs> I, I honestly, I started to do it, and I was like, nah, I can't lie about it. Uh, Kansas City was um, interesting in that it was kind of strangely like segmented. Like, when I was there... The, uh, the plaza was real big, and then when they opened up all that Sprint Center, it became kind of a, a more fun place. And there were some decent spots, but for the most part, when I lived out in OP, it was fucking terrible. It was like every – it's a pre-planned community, so like every like you know quarter mile, there's like some – Like a cookie cutter? Oh, my God. It was like a Best Buy, a Cheesecake Factory, some weird Mexican spot, and like uh, a fucking um, – so what's the what's the local delicacy? You know, when you took us to Philly, we did cheesecake fucking apocalypse. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's, what's going on in Kansas City? What's that? Barbecue. Uh, yeah, barbecue. It's barbecue, but what's strange is uh, the I'm I'm not a big like Kansas City barbecue fan because it's so much <laughs> sauce. Like I like more like the the smoked kind of dry barbecue. Yeah. Like, like Tennessee. Time, like yeah. Oh, get the fuck out of like, here, yeah, Texas. The first time they took us to this barbecue spot. They fucking drowned the the meat in so Where'd much. Where'd you fucking, go? Um, uh, I remember the first place I think we went was like was it Jack Stacks? Oh. <laughs> Jack Stacks good. Oklahoma yeah. Joe's. Oklahoma Joe's is a the spot there though. That's 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 the place you need to go. So I, I like and, and I did make that. So when I went, of course, back for seconds, I was like, hey, can let's get the sauce on the side. <laughs> and this woman looked at me like, like I just fucking kicked her kid in the face. And she was like this, and I was like, I was like, I just don't want you to drown my fucking food in this. Yeah, stuff. I like it extra sloppy. Oh, yeah, I'm I down do. with I, that. I like it fucking uh, like the salt lick. You're me, a dry guy. I got it. Yeah, where it's it's fucking smoked, kind of rub. It just was too much sauce for me. Yeah. I mean, if in a perfect world, I mean, it's not like I'm fucking mad at barbecue. Uh, <laughs> one thing sounds like it. They have a they have a pretty decent beer in Kansas City for the Boulevard. Uh, Boulevard, Boulevard yeah. Yeah, that's pretty legit. Like back in Philly, they um, Yingling, like they only sell it back there. So whenever we go back there, we always fucking get Yingling. But I remember Boulevard was pretty good. Uh, what else did we what did we do in Kansas City? That's it, bro. That's it. <laughs> there was really, really nothing. I mean, uh, you know, I, I guess if you want to get fucking weird, Luke. You probably would have been down to the Lake of the Ozarks every weekend. Oh, dude, I went there for uh, like family vacation back in the day. Oh, Just dude. wave crashing wave runners, living the dream. <laughs> yeah. And I guess thinking back in retrospect, there were a lot of bands without windows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Kansas City's a nice place. It'd be a good place to actually raise a family and like you know like it was nice communities. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's fucking Midwest, dude. I mean, as soon as it got cold, which was strange in Philly, it would snow and you'd have big things of snow, but it wasn't bad. Fucking all of a sudden, I went to Kansas City and it was like 
snow, ice, black ice, and uh, like the craziest fucking weather I've ever seen. Yeah. I mean, dude, and, and it was like nothing. There'd be a big storm, and like 50 people would be dead from fucking crashing up the highway. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, that, that shit blew my mind. I'm like, if you know there's black ice and the weather's just bad, why the fuck are you doing 100 on the highway? <laughs> so, Get over it quicker. It's crazy. We dude, have bad but... weather and educated people. <laughs> <laughs> did, uh, did, did you grow up in Kansas City? Yes, I did. Yes. I was about to say that, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. No, you See, gotta I, always... I, I can't say that because I try to rep the city, man. I really do. Like, there's nobody, like, I don't know, man. There's just, there's not a whole lot going on. Like, you know, there's the Chiefs and the Royals and shit like that. And, like, those dudes don't, I feel like nobody supports MMA in Kansas City, like, at a, at a, at, like a, at the, the, the Kansas City level, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, the, the MMA community obviously supports MMA, but, like, nobody outside of that supports it. You know, not, like, if you see, like, the NFL and soccer, like, the Sporting KC, the Chiefs, the Royals, they all support each other. You know what I mean? But I don't know, man. It's just, like, none of those guys acknowledge anybody doing anything out of the MMA scene. They're like, dude, this is a big deal, man. Like, I'm not the only one either. You know, there's other guys out there fighting at the top level of the sport. You know what I mean? Like I fought at MGM Grand a couple times. You know, I fought at some of the biggest venues in the world. And and what's and, the big uh, local venue? Uh, like like where have, have they had any UFCs in uh, Kansas City or like if, no. when you fight locally, is there anywhere local that's like a pretty big uh, deal to fight? Um, honestly, I probably own the biggest promotion in Kansas City. Oh, wow. Or I, I don't own it fully. I have you know I have a partner that a partner and I do it, but. There's uh, the it's weird. UFC's never been to Kansas City, and then like Kansas City's a weird town, man. Like they don't follow, they don't follow like venues or, or events. They follow specific people, specific fighters. So unless that specific, it's the fighters, NASCAR approach out there. Yeah, it kind of is. Well, I mean, dude, NASCAR is fucking huge because uh, we actually went out and did the Richard Petty experience and went to a NASCAR race. And dude, I swear to God, man, they must have had. A few hundred thousand people at that NASCAR. Event. Yeah, it's like two percent of NASCAR then. Yeah. So like uh, it's, it's the NASCAR yeah. approach without all the money and people. Yeah, dude. I mean, they yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, like like whenever the NASCAR guys were in town, they would always come in and like you know always come to the facility, and we always got to go. And then the cool part was we got to race in the Richard Petty experience and all that, which was fucking amazing. But uh, dude, I the first time I went to a NASCAR event, I was like, holy shit! Like there was thousands of people like in the stands in the infield like I couldn't believe it I'm like I didn't know there was this many fucking Winnebago's and trailers in the fucking world <laughs> they don't play around man they have that Kansas Speedway out there they don't oh, play around with that no dude and, and the crazy part is everybody is on um, like they sit in the stands with uh, like um, scanners so so what they're doing is they're they're like listening yeah, in like the pit well uh, like between the drivers and their crew chief as they're talking through you know and like dude these guys are on their head like headsets with their scanners and they're like you know, fucking obsessed. Like, it, like, I don't think. Uh, you know, is that the next phase for the NFL for the fanship? Oh, dude, I cannot imagine if fans could listen in. So that's part of the reason why they don't do wireless. Like, the they have like the feeds, you know, with the with the wires, or they used to. Maybe they have a way to do it now. Mm -hmm. But originally, that was why they didn't go to the wireless because they didn't want people tapping in. So maybe they have a way to do it digitally now. There's like short range wireless shit that doesn't go up beyond 50 feet, you know, and they probably would just put repeaters within a proximity so you couldn't pick that shit up. But yeah, they um. Yeah, no, I mean, dude, I always thought it would have been bitching, too, especially in a fight if they mic'd up, like, the uh, the corner guys. And I got to hear, like, you're getting your fucking ass kicked. Let's yeah, fucking do. go. We got a yeah. steak dinner after this, bitch. Let's go. 
they, they mic the corner up now. Yeah, they do that now. They just oh, they do? yeah, they'll do that now. But what happens is fighters give it to like their guy who's not going to say that stuff. Like we like James, for instance, has Tim Elliott, who's like one of the most exciting fighters in the world. But there's no way that they would play anything Tim Elliott says on television. But you can usually still hear it through the microphone yeah, that the other guy. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm, yeah, I mean, you know, hey, if, uh, you know, the sad part about the state of, um, I guess you could say, American fans, or actually just global fans of sports, is they have no concept of really what it's like in terms of the grand scheme of things, that they believe that there's some hierarchy and every, you know, and it's like, dude, no way. I mean, especially like you know that. What do you mean? Well, I mean, it, it's like uh, case in point. Like uh, you've seen in the NFL where they like mic up a player and then they follow him around. Yeah. And like. Okay, I got you. It's, okay. It's such Good job, boy. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah, no. I was like, if they ever mic'd me up, and like I did. First of all, I didn't say a fucking word because I was usually uh, trying to catch my breath. <laughs> so like, 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 dude, like, like people are like, oh man, you're gonna. I'm like, dude, it's worthless. All they're gonna hear me is fucking breathing. In mouth breathing and panting and pretending like I'm not gonna fucking throw up and go. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then like poking myself on the side and I can't fucking breathe. And then I wish they mic'd. I wish they mic'd. I wish there was a way to mic the fighters up because I talk to the guys I'm fighting. It, oh, do you really? Do you, oh yeah, absolutely. Do you talk shit or what do you say? Both. Yeah. Whatever, man. Like I. I mean, it don't. It just depends on you know. Sometimes I'll talk shit. Most of the time I'm talking shit. You know, or, or laughing at him or smiling at him or, you know. What is your best fucking line? Like, if you were going to drop something on somebody, like, like you got it. Or maybe what, what what do you think the best line oh, you've had yeah. has been? Because I'm pretty sure it's, like, contextual, situational. Yeah, I got man, one. it's, it's not like about. it's not like a line. It's like, you know, if you know this dude, uh, if you know this dude just hits you with one of his best shots and you call him a bitch or something like that right after, it gets pretty demoralizing. You know, like, like I don't know, you just – you just talk shit the whole time. It gets demoralizing. Like, you make a miss, and you'll say stuff like, man, you can't hit me. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can't touch me. You fucking suck. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'll say stuff like that, you know, just talk shit during the fight. But I think you can't hear any of it, though. Like, in this last fight, I was, like, screaming at my corner at one point. <laughs> like, they're telling me to breathe. And I'm like, bro, I'm not even fucking tired at all. And, and uh, I, like, it was from one end of the cage to the other. You can't, you can't hear it at all on the broadcast. But I talk shit to them all the time. You just can't ever hear it. Dude, uh, my best is I was playing against this guy, and he had uh, his face was kind of fucked up, had a bunch of pock marks, and my line to him was, "Is that where the coat hanger kept missing you?" Oh. <laughs> and, um, he, there was uh, like a couple plays, and then he was well, like, "Well, he was right? defensive lineman, so he was, a, you know, basically a moron, uh, you know, one step above fucking licking paint with, uh, you know, like, you know, paint licker, <laughs> like, like a window licker." Um, and so it took about three or four plays, and then all of a sudden I could see, you know, the fact that, like, it was sinking in. His brain He's process like, was so hey, slow. I it took him about three or four minutes, and all of a sudden I could see his eyes getting real big, and he started getting real angry and, you know, started making all this noise. And I was like, it took you that long to get it. I was like, oh, you know. So so then we started messing him up with dummy calls instead of looking at the tackle and being like, hey, hey, I'm coming your way. And he'd, like, look that way, and then we'd run the other way, and he'd run that way. He's a moron. At what point do you think, do you think it's in – like in all levels of competition, you know, like going back to what you said, the general public and the fan base think that there's, you know, and I'm, I guess I'm kind of getting on like this CrossFit Open thing, which is I'm really not that burned up about, but they believe there's a level of integrity no, it's, in competition. Uh, it's uh, I think people, especially for sports, believe in the inherent honor 
of the two people, that there's something honorable about two guys putting on gloves and going out there and fighting. That's why, like, when you see, like, certain fighters that people fucking hate uh, are usually the people that the fans deem as unhonorable or dishonorable. Like, yeah, no integrity. Well, like, kind of like, I mean, you know, you got to think, like, uh, Anderson Silva would, like, taunt people and make them look stupid, but he would just fucking also crush people, but all of a sudden that dude loses, and they couldn't fucking rap fucking, I mean, look at Ronda Rousey, she destroys people, and then all of a sudden she gets taken down. And then everybody hates And, and like, yeah, everybody hated her, and I was like, really? I, I still kind of like her. I, I thought she was, I mean, dude, everybody has one fight, like, she's done this, put her barrier. And so I think there's, like, this weird, I don't know what it is, but, like, maybe this, like, the, the American people, or just anybody in general, fans, like, view person, because if you think about, like, some of the fights where dudes just go out there and they fucking literally just two guys put on the best fight and they warrior each other and it's just back and forth, blood and guts. And the guy, like, to them, it's kind of like, oh, man, that was an honorable fight. These guys have honor. They fought hard. And you're like, you paid money to come see this and to be entertained. Fuck you. You know, basically, like, like so I, I, we, always, we always thought that there was this idea of somehow, like, people believed in the inherent honor of it. And when they get shown that people aren't honorable, they all of a sudden are upset with it. Yeah, man, that's nonsense, man. This is a fist fight. This, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not, I'm, man. The difference between, the difference between winning and losing is half my paycheck. So if I can fuck around and I can play head games with this dude and that gives me an advantage in the fight, you better believe I'm gonna call him a bitch every time he kicks me or punches me. If sure, the, dude. If that's, but if that's, that's the, but that's the athlete's perspective. And that's I mean, the essence of competition. Yeah, like mind. fuck, like uh, the way I look at it is, do whatever you have to do to win and be successful. Like if it's oh, absolutely. Shit, However, but I but I I think that there's a disconnect because you got to remember most of the fans that are sitting out there have never been hit. They've never been in the yeah, fight. Yeah, I mean the casual fan. I man, look, I, I'm the first one to tell you that the fans pay my bills and stuff. But the, the fact is, the casual fan usually don't know shit. You know what I mean? It's just it, it is what it is, man. And and like they don't they don't see what goes into this. And like you said, you hit it right on the head. They don't they don't know what it's like to be in a fist fight. You know what I mean? And 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 even if they have been in the fight. We're not talking about a 30-second fight on the street. We're talking about fighting for 15 minutes. When's the last time the casual fans fought for 15 minutes and understand what goes through your head and what it's like to get hit and, and act like it doesn't hurt, what it's like to get your neck cranked on and act like it's not hurt? You know what I mean? It's just, or, man, this is not – this is not. Or the bigger you know, one is, 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 the, is the fact that the casual fan and most people have no concept of the amount of work leading up to it, whether it be the training camp, the weight cut, or the refeed, all of these things that you did – to prepare you for this day, they just show up and are like, oh, great. You know, are you not entertained? Yeah, right. And like yeah. that shit, like they sit in the seat and you're like, hey, motherfucker, I've been living this thing for fucking months. And on like, top of that, like, the guy across is trying to take that yeah, away from you. And, and, yeah. and you know what? And the money that I'm going to win here is going to open a gym and put money in my kid or put food in my kid's mouth. So like yeah. I, I always remember like when people start taking it to like, and I played against guys being like, this is how I feed my family. When you hear a dude say that, you know he's not fucking around. When dude's talking about, hey, I want to buy another set of rims, that's a dude you get to beat on. But when a dude's like, man, I got 400 kids, I'm going out to kill a motherfucker. Like, that's that type of, mm -hmm. uh, you know, motivation. And I think what always pisses me off with a little stuff, and kind of similar to, oh, sorry, uh, similar why I always kind of dug on, um, you know, when ESPN went and did, like, their 30 for 30, and they were following fighters, especially on the fight stuff, and you get to see the prep and what happens building up to it. You know, they got rid of that 30 for 30. I was kind of upset about that. But uh, you know what? Mm. The, the guy that was in charge that wrote it all, the guy that created that whole thing, uh, ended up getting fired because he, um, on an airplane, got caught jacking off next to... Uh, Sky Creek? Uh, uh, next to uh, the chick that just got... Aaron Andrews? Yeah, Aaron Andrews. What's wrong with that? 
Thanks yeah, a lot, Skycrank. Thanks a lot, Bin Laden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just fucking because I was just reading the Aaron Andrews thing, which is fucking horrendous that that whole thing happened. But dude, she had the dude cranking on a plane next to her, and she didn't say anything because she had been treated so badly by ESPN on that oh. Peeping Tom thing. They thought it was a publicity, and they made her do an interview. It's like fuck. Yeah, fucking bad uh, people. But all right, uh, sorry. But I, I think um, what people have no concept of is the fight before the fight, leading up all the things that you're doing to get there. And I think like they just buy the ticket and they show up and they want to see blood. And like for for me, um, that fucking sucks. Like I always want to know like what a training camp go look like. You know, like what kind of injuries. Like 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 what have you done up to that point for me is the meaningful stuff like you know like once you get there and you put your game unis on or your shorts the haze in the barn yeah the haze in the barn time to go out and fucking beat wholesale ass like all, all the hard work was done so what always pisses me off too is you know if a guy gets knocked out or something happens everybody's like he's a fucking bomb and I'm like fuck you you don't know what this guy did leading up to it he could have been hurt he might have been a million different things happening and the problem is is that everybody's so instant gratification but they, and you know, and this, that's the same shit that killed me in the NFL. You lose a game, and all of a sudden you're the fucking worst. And you're Aren't like, you're hey, quarterback you're, shit. Yeah, you're like, we've been doing this shit for months. You don't think anybody on this team wants to win? You know, like, fuck you. And I, and that's, you know, probably shouldn't say that as much, but I'm not fucking the fans aren't paying my money anymore. But um, that that was kind of where we got kind of twisted up a little bit, and being like, hey, we're out there fucking trying as hard. Like, it's not like we're fucking sandbagging the shit for some ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Well, it's just so easy to make comments from the couch, man. It's you know, and that's that's anybody. The fact is, is in any sport, you're only as good as your last performance. So it's easy for people to say, "Oh man, he sucks. He got you know, he got knocked out." And you know, but as you know, in, in football, it's a game of inches. In MMA, the the margin of error, especially at the highest level of the sport, is is so minute that if you make one little mistake, if your hand is is one inch lower than it should be, that could be a difference between a, uh, a KO and you, you know, and you KOing him. You know, it's, so it's the margin of error is just so small at the highest level of any sport that it's it, mistakes are going to happen, you know, and and that stuff happens. And like you said, it's not like you know, it's not like I'm not I'm not going out to fight, you know. Trust me, man. Like I'm I'm trying to whip this dude's ass. I promise, you know. I'm not, so it's not like I went into this fight like oh, I'm going to lose this one, you know. I, I'm going to. I'm just not going to try. I don't go through well, my head. Well, and, and, and the UFC is so fucking competitive that, like, I mean, dude, like, guys are fucking willing to give, you know, body parts to get into it. And so all of a sudden when you get into a situation and, like, you go out there, like, and I think that's why people like it. I mean, that's why fucking boxing has died, which is such a sad deal because um, you don't really see the competition in the fights anymore. It's like, hey, I'm, you know, uh, my purse is already set. I'm going to get $350 million. You're going to get $200 million. Let's just go out here and dance around and throw some jabs for the next couple hours. Like, whereas you go in the NFL and it's, I mean, uh, uh, the UFC, and it's it's like one bad fight and you might never get asked back. Yeah, there's James Krause out there, hungry motherfucker, yeah. trying to just, you know, get his. Yeah, head. but I mean, think think about like, I mean, and my, my favorite is uh, is somebody goes out and has a bad performance and you hear Dana White fucking down on him, like, yeah, that dude's never coming back. You know, like it's 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 such a, uh, you know, I, I think the reason is is that you know people are digging on it because it's so competitive. And it's, you know, guys are out there busting their ass for it. And I think uh, professional professional fighting in general fucking needs that, like a shot in the arm more than anything, just because I think people got so disenfranchised with the fucking bullshit of professional boxing and the Don King and the money and all the fucking scam that was going on. So, no, it's, it, it's legit, man, and I fucking have loads of respect for you for doing it. And, and um, fuck, man, I, yeah, I'm stoked for you guys. Thank you very much. Much appreciated. Well, James, listen up, man. Uh, where, you know, for people who may not be following you yet or already, where do they go? I mean, you got 
a YouTube channel, Instagram? What do you got? How can they find you? What when? How can they get in touch with you? How can they, you know, how can they reach out, or how can yep. you reach out to them? Yep, Facebook. Uh, my, I have a regular page, a personal page, and I have a fan page. My regular page is capped out, so it's Facebook.com. My fan page is the James Kraus MMA, and then Twitter and Instagram are dot com backslash the James Kraus, and it's just. I'm pretty active with people. I usually answer everybody. You know, I comment on all your guys' stuff, and I, you know, anybody asking me questions, I usually, I usually answer them pretty honestly. And you know, I try to, I try to interact with everybody that wants to interact with me. I'm not like the, you know, some of the guys don't answer anybody, but I try to, I try to keep it cool, man. I try to talk to the fans and stuff because they're, I, you know, I appreciate everything. You know, them giving their money up to to watch me fight and their dedication to watching me because, uh, you know, it is at the end of the day, those guys are paying my bills, you know, and it's, it's, uh, so I want to fight for the fans. You know, I've changed my style. I've changed, honestly, man, I'm probably way better on the ground than I am standing, but I try to strike cause that's what the fans want to see. So, you know, no, dude, if, if, you guys, if you want to check out his Instagram, I'm actually on it right now, man. He's got a pretty solid Instagram. I'm looking at this picture of your man, super duper Bobby Cooper. Yeah, This, dang, this fucking gash in his forehead is like, he got cut all the way to the white meat. Like I can see a skull in there. Holy shit. Yeah. No, he. It's pretty legit, man. He even got a picture of your little of your little kid, man. So that's cool. I personally try to keep my kids off of Instagram because they're a lot of weirdos. So, <laughs> um, you know, I don't always. Yeah. So, but uh, no, he's got a legit deal. Holy oh, shit! No, I was looking at damn. No, it's um, dude. Yeah, you guys are. You know, I mean, what, what you guys are doing is pretty amazing. And uh, yeah, man, we're stoked to you know accept you to the family and you know de facto because we somehow adopted Tyler recently. So, mm -hmm. like you're our friend now. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's. I mean, we're we're we'll we're be in the Crash proverbial House. the proverbial corner well, on the other end of the TV in a much more comfortable fucking situation. <laughs> fucking cheering for you, man. I'm actually, excited. actually, the next fight we'll go and then we can get up there and beat up some fucking fat out out of shape people in the audience. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I used to always laugh at the NFL games that uh, during TV timeouts we'd stand there and we'd watch the fans fight each other. <laughs> so like my favorite is we'd be standing out there TV timeout and be like, oh look at that, and you see these dudes up there just meleeing each other to use Tyler's term. And uh, just over there, just knocking each other out. And I remember being like, why are they fighting? It's a game. <laughs> yeah, you guys paid to come to watch us battle. And then these people get all jazzed up, have a couple beers, a few hot dogs. Next thing you know, they're busting on high school football stories and start laying the dudes out. Well, dude, it's like Tyler, a.k.a. Dalton, when he was um, he was telling me, he was regaling me with his bouncing stories. Oh, yeah, uh, where he used to bounce at Chili's? The butthole Chili's. <laughs> he said anytime they would have fight night, like, uh, him and his crew would like have a pep talk and back and like headbutt each other and get ready for the brawl because a bunch of drunk assholes are gonna just like chest up at each other because they think they can do what they're seeing on TV. Yeah. Well, like the UFC events do do so much for the undiscovered talent of America. Dude, <laughs> it's just so much, man. I always I say if Joe Silva, Joe Silva doesn't even know what he's missing. Like there's so many guys in bars who could just they could beat up Conor McGregor, uh, beat up Ronda Rousey. They could they could do it all at once. Dude, I'm drinking a beer. I've been to like three <laughs> UFC fights, and uh, the the hilarious part was we were one in Vegas, and the uh, we were kind of like like uh, you know there was the floor, and then as it went up, we were in that next kind of section up, and there was a, a obviously a like a, a fight school because they all showed up in their fight school T-shirts, and they had an entire row, and then like the row in front of them was like just some other assholes. And these dudes were, you know, like legitimate guys that were training. Like they were there kind of like as fans, but also probably there as like, hey, man, like we want to be exposed to this because maybe one day we'll be here. So they were super uber serious. I mean, every one of them's got 
you know, cauliflower ears and, you know, a busted up nose. I mean, these dudes all look like pretty battle hardened. And so I'm sitting there and I'm watching them. They're all in red shirts. And uh, I'm sitting there and, and like, I'm kind of watching them. And like, these dudes are super serious. And of course, the fucking drunk fans, the people, all of a sudden this dipshit in front of them, like throws his popcorn and beer in the air and like hits this one dude. And uh, they proceeded to wreck shop on like everybody in front of them. And, uh, and then security comes and they threw everybody out. And, like, I was like, holy shit, it was actually more entertaining to sit there and to see these fucking drunk morons get their asses beat <laughs> by this, like, you know, and, and, and like, like the T-shirts were, like, uh, you know, it was, like, uh, Fight Team, Muay Thai, like, like, they had, like, so many styles on there. I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. And like <laughs> some, dude, of my, guys, some of my favorite fights to watch are, like, the two guys that don't know shit and they get so tired <laughs> that they can't knock each other out and they can't keep their hands up, so they just keep hitting each other over and over again. Those are my favorite ones to watch. Like, that's my style. What do you call that? That's my style. That's called the Homer Simpson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, man. Well, all right, man. Well, let's. I say we wrap it up. Yeah, just save great. something for next next time after the next big one. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, this would be great. But James, awesome, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tyler. Same to you, man. I know you guys are busy out there and. Uh, the good old Midwest. Getting, or actually, James, you're up north. But uh, I don't even know where I am. Yeah, back to it, man. Back to recovery, and we'll we'll talk to you soon, man. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks. All right, see you guys. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard the man. Anywhere you need to find him, you can under the name the James Krause. That covers Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Links to each of those pages can be found on this episode's blog post. So become a fanboy and closely follow the lives of he and his professional trainer slash oil applicator slash sauna servant, Tyler Mitten ASAP. Until next time, bye!